Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Morning. I want to start by saying uh, how impressed I am today with uh, our, our off-site Seahawks game, 80 women at women's retreat Sunday morning. Uh, I thought, <laughs> I joked in the back, I thought for sure I was just going to be preaching to the set-up teardown people, the most loyal of us. But uh, yeah, this is, this is so great. Thank you so much for being here. If you're new, my name's Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kessid. And uh, if today's truly your first Sunday, uh, we don't meet here. This church has been lovely enough to let us gather here uh, as we finish our building in Uptown Vancouver. So next week, we will be back at Clark. And we will actually, we booked uh, Clark for like the next four years, so we, we won't have to move. We won't, it's an ongoing joke, but everybody laughs the same way, like really relieved, like, <laughs> thank God. So uh, that, that, is, that is true. Uh, we will be back home at Clark until we move into our building. Uh, next week, Pastor Tom is going to be giving a very special update. Uh, we got lots of good news and lots of good things happening, so hopefully you'll be here. We'll also launch a brand new series next week. That will take us all the way through Christmas, through the end of the year. So uh, I'm excited. There's lots of really great things happening. And, uh, and I'm grateful. On a personal note, uh, I just want to say thank you to all the people who reached out, all the people who've been praying. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever been hugged so much in one Sunday uh, as, as last Sunday. So uh, our family's doing well. Uh, as some of you may not know, my father passed away about two weeks ago. And so we're, uh, we're just... Uh, we're just in it, you know. We're just we're just in our with our with our families, with you, and trusting God that uh, that He can uh, make all things new and all things clear. So uh, He is so faithful, and I am so thankful, and I am uh, I'm privileged to stand here with you today. So uh, let me pray because we're going to close this uh, this untethered series, and I'm excited about it because I've been waiting to talk about what I'm going to talk about uh, since we started because this is a really important part of untethering. And uh, that's what we're going to dive into in just a moment. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for every person in this room that uh, has their own journey, has their own story, has experiences and things that have uh, drawn them to you, uh, repelled them from you, has, has broken their hearts, have, uh, have brought healing to their lives. So many people coming from so many directions, and Lord, you're willing to meet them all. I'm just, I'm just so grateful that it doesn't have to be me every single week meeting the needs. That God, through the Holy Spirit, you are intimately connected with every person here right where they are. Thank you for this series. Thank you that we were able to untether and take a step back. Really ask good questions about our faith and about ourselves. And I pray today would uh, just be a beautiful culmination of all that hard work. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the series kind of had a theme, and that theme was this, Untethered, Learning to Create Space for Questions, Doubts, and Beliefs. And when we started that off, uh, I don't know if people thought we would dive into all the different areas that we dove into, as a matter of fact. And I, I proclaimed this to a few different people. I thought this would be, of all the series we've done, this would probably be uh, a series, if not the series, that drove people into truly questioning, doubting, and even disagreeing with one another, even with myself, more than any other series. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, I had someone actually say to me, really loved your sermon last week, but it didn't rock me. I still think you're wrong. And I was like, perfect. 
because I never claim to be all-knowing or all-right. I just claim to ask big questions and feel safe enough to create a space where people can ask questions, meaning some people are going to proclaim they have the answers, and they may or they may not. And other people are going to be able to ask questions that other people have never even considered asking before because they just assumed everybody knew that. This was quite a provocative statement, and it led to quite a provocative place. Because what we've been talking about this entire series hasn't been as much a set of topics as it has been getting into a specific spiritual posture, a position before God and other people. Now, I don't know if our long-term Christians realize just how important this is or if they realize just how welcoming you've been over the last eight weeks for other people who wrestle with their faith. So I just want to stop just for a second and I want to recognize all of the people who grew up in church, who grew up in tradition, who grew up just accepting everything that was taught to them, which, which for a long time was what you were supposed to do, because of the fact that we stayed in the tension and stayed in the room and kind of stayed in the mess created conversations for all kinds of people within our church, which led to a feeling of incredible safety. Now, I sit on the front end of all those conversations. I, I read a lot. I receive a lot of emails around what's going on in the church community, specifically in the United States. And that's, of course, magnified in the Northwest because uh, church per capita, it's the darkest area in uh, the entire country. As a matter of fact, there's like four new church plants that have launched here just within the uh, last year, just in Vancouver, that I've had the privilege of encouraging and being around. And uh, those guys are coming because they come from Bible Belt areas and they've heard that church is hard here and it's difficult here and the Holy Spirit has brought them. So here's what you need to realize about this posture, this untethered posture. The inability to rest within an untethered posture is in a very real way the primary reason the next generation points to for leaving faith altogether because churches aren't safe for them to ask and have questions answered. They're expected to just show up, they're expected to mold, and they're expected to just reproduce more and more people like us. And when we created space over the last eight, nine, ten weeks and said, hey, what if we didn't have all the answers? What if we untethered from these things we thought were super secure? It created space for searching people to ask big questions. And I'll put this on the screen. This is because, and this is critical to all your coffee shop conversations. This is critical to everything that you're doing with non-believers and people seeking. And that's this. Searching people want to know it's okay to be in process. And if you and I aren't willing to untether from our finished product Christian life and be in process with other people, then we're not going to be able to sit in any kind of conversations because who wants to sit with someone who's already arrived? What kind of posture is that? This is a posture the Bible would call self-righteous. This is one where you need to learn what I have learned and know what I know and do what I do. When in reality, all people want to sit and go, this morning, my youngest daughter this morning asked me a question about the Bible. I answered it and she goes, Dad, that sounds so made up. Like, did you just make that up? That's crazy. This is a true story. And I said, it does kind of sound made up, doesn't it? Because I have this posture in my heart right now where I'm like, fair enough. 15 years old, that sounds a little like a Disney movie. And I go, but it's not made up. And here's why. And I shared, and she goes, oh, that's awesome. But what if it would have been like, Dad, that sounds so made up. And I would have been like, how dare you question God's word? How dare you challenge the Holy Spirit's presence? Are you not a Christian? Do you know where non-Christians go? This is, a lot of the, this is a lot of the posture that people have experienced with Christians. 
So instead, my daughter and I had a beautiful conversation, and I drove to church thinking how privileged I am to sit in a place where people are willing to untether and take an untethered posture where they recognize that searching people want to know it's okay to be in process. I'm in process. My daughter's in process. I would hope every person in this room, no matter how far along their spiritual journey they are, would recognize that they're in process. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It's not questioning. It's not wondering. It's deciding this is true, and I know it. If you know something's true and you're certain about it, that requires no faith whatsoever. This is why a lot of marriages need to talk more about faith than like true love soulmate kind of stuff. Because a lot of people get married and they're like, I'm certain this is the person for me. I'll just be honest. I married Aaron. I didn't know for sure. Now, you know a little bit more about my, my father's marriage history because I was finally able to share about that last week. And you know now that I approach marriage pretty like, well, if it doesn't work out, I got nine more tries. I mean, I'm going to get it right eventually. <laughs> My wife, on the other hand, both her grandparents and great-grandparents and uh, her parents themselves all married. So Aaron was like, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. We're going to stay married or somebody's going to die. That's it. <laughs> it's the only way out. But a faith is such an important part of that conversation because the opposite, of course, of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. Now, for Christians, this is a powerful thought. This is a powerful thing to let in to your posture because we're taught that to have doubt, right, like Thomas, is to be less than we could be like Peter, who's the rock. When in reality, I don't think that what Thomas was doubting was that, that Jesus was Jesus. I think he was doubting that the resurrection really happened because nothing like that has ever happened before. Why would we hold that against him? He was questioning this. We should be questioning things within our lives because it gives us a posture very much so like other people. And as a matter of fact, the biggest things, I'll put it up there, keeping you from a deeper faith are all the things you're certain about. The biggest things keeping you and I from a deeper faith, a more real faith, a more vulnerable faith, a more alive faith are all the things I'm certain about. Because I don't have to bring those things before God. I don't have to sit before his Holy Spirit and say, can you show me this? I already know this. I learned it a long time ago. Let's move on to the hard stuff. And God's like, well, love is like both the first and the hardest stuff. Like just loving your neighbor alone, you should spend like 80 or 90 of your years on earth working on before you move on to anything else. This is according to Jesus. Love your neighbor. And by the way, you should be loving yourself as you love the Lord. So there's three loves in that. A lot of people haven't figured out how to love themselves. So they don't have any margin to love their neighbors. And therefore, all their love is really just focused on God while they hate themselves and most of the people they run into. But they're consistent on their Sunday morning attendance. <laughs> Praise you, Father. Shut up. <laughs> Why am I so worthless? You don't love yourself. You don't love your neighbor. All your love goes to God. And he's like, they are just so, this is so broken. I wish they just have a posture of teachability, a posture that I could speak into because I think they would live such a more beautiful life. This is an available and enlightened posture. It's when you're open. It's when you're, when you're, when you're uh, as, as uh, this is a pretty common statement right now, but the idea within the gospel is that we transcend, right? We develop, we grow, we become more. But the whole concept of transcendence is that it's not really transcendence unless it includes 
You transcend and include. You transcend and include. You don't all of a sudden get to this high place and finally you're like looking down upon all your minions that didn't transcend as well as you. That's not true transcendence. You are to be available. You are to be enlightened. And you are to be open to all kinds of people and all kinds of discussions. I learned this firsthand without even knowing I was learning it from one of our elders here at Kesed, Dr. Larry Shelton. And you haven't seen Larry a lot because he's been wrestling with a lot of medical issues, but he's getting a lot of lunches from us, and he's getting some community, and he's still an, an adjunct elder here uh, because of his place that he's uh, built within a lot of our lives. Uh, Larry has been going to Kesed since it was one year old, and I couldn't figure out from the very first time he took me to coffee why he was here. Larry is a seminary professor, and he taught seminary for nearly 40 years. His academic background includes a Ph.D. from Fuller Theological Seminary, a Th.M. from Ashbury Theological Seminary, an M.Div. from Ashbury Theological Seminary, and a B.A. from Pfeiffer University. Larry was also a dean of multiple colleges and is pretty much the smartest person you'll ever meet when it comes to the Bible. I asked Larry all kinds of questions at all kinds of uh, meetings, and I have notes after notes after notes of him answering questions, and I'll be honest, when we started our dates, going on our Danny Larry dates, um, he would frustrate me because I really just wanted him to get to the point and give me the nuggets I could use on Sunday to impress other people. It's just true. It's all right. And Larry was really now in hindsight much more about teaching me a posture. At our last Danny and Larry date, I asked him uh, what he was thinking about these days and what was it like being a, a man in his 70s where he was with all he knew and the church and the kingdom and all these different kind of things? What's going on in your mind, Larry? And he took a bite of sandwich and chewed it for, felt like, 12 minutes. <laughs> I just waited. I've learned. And he sat down his sandwich and dabbed his napkin. I posted these two thoughts, and this is what he said. Well, Danny... I'm 100% sure that I will walk into heaven and be shocked by the people there I would have disfellowshipped. My judgment is just too faulty. Once again, just for those of you that want to know, Larry has a THD from Fuller Theological Seminary, a THM from Ashbury Seminary, an MDiv from Ashbury Seminary, sorry, and a Theological Seminary uh, BA from Pfeiffer. And Larry is wondering if he lived his life with enough openness and availability. He took a drink of water and said, you know what else? The further I go up the road, the more I look back and realize just how often I've been wrong. Thank goodness going to heaven doesn't require me to be right about everything. Larry is open and available. Larry's posture is one that is incredibly, incredibly untethered. He's willing to learn he was one of the most common people to come up to me after service and go, I never knew that. <laughs> and I'd be like, you're messing with me. And he goes, well, I, I knew it, but I never knew it like that. Like I never thought of it from that angle. I never thought of it from that perspective. The point was he was always pouring into me, Danny, no matter how much you get, no matter where you go, no matter what Kessid does, we are called to have a posture that is open and available where we transcend like Larry has and include people like Danny. Where we chew our food well to make sure we never choke and then just destroy people with comments that shake them to their core 
Because the truth of it is, I think Larry was waiting 10 years to tell me those things. I just didn't ask the right questions. And he didn't pour down my throat the answers he thought I wanted to know. He waited. How many of you in this room have all the right answers, but you don't have a posture around you that people feel safe enough to ask the questions? So they don't hear you as you lay on them these beautiful truths because you don't have a posture that's available. You don't have a posture that's enlightened and inclusive. You are a person who's arrived at a place and you want other people to know it. How many of you in this room right now would love to have a Larry in your life? To have spiritual parents, to have spiritual grandparents, people that are just a little further ahead of you. That's not about age. It's about people who are safe enough for you to go, this kind of feels made up. And you to go, I could see that. That makes sense. But how beautiful is that? I think that's what the Bible describes as discipleship. So much of what we claim to know that we wear on our sleeves isn't revealed to us by our alive and well Holy Spirit that's constantly tweaking us, but more often by our often misunderstood church traditions. This is uh, kind of like that famous square ham story where the mother's teaching her, her middle school daughter how to make ham for Christmas dinner and she cuts off the edges and, and she puts it in the pan and the daughter says, Mom, why do we always cut off the edges on the ham? And she goes, well... That's how, that's how you make ham. She goes, but you know, I never really thought about it. So she called uh, grandma. And so grandma goes, well, that's just how we make ham. That's how ham's made. But I learned it from my mom, your, your, your grandma, your great grandma. So they called great grandma and they said, grandma, how come we cut off the edges on the ham? And she goes, well, because the pan that we all had growing up was too small. <laughs> There's a whole lot of us in this room still cutting the edges off our ham. And people are like, I don't know if we need to do this anymore. We're like, ham is always to be cut. Communion on the fourth Sunday and only three songs. And I can't believe the pastor's wearing a hoodie today. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened to our church. I don't know where our church is. The truth is, you know when you've reached an untethered place, a really truly untethered place, because you can finally accept that you don't know. You just accept it. It's not that you just, that's an excuse, and so you don't have to go search it out or learn it, or you can behave however you want. It's just the idea that you don't know. And you're sitting in a place like Larry to go, I, I don't know. The only way that that mom and grandma found out about the ham was to go, you know, I don't really know. Let's call somebody. Let's figure out why we do this. It isn't even that the tradition's not valuable. It isn't even that maybe for the next 10 generations, all the ham in that family has the edges cut off. But now you know why. Because a grandma long time ago was so poor, she couldn't buy a new ham pan, and so she cut it off. So we honor the fact that God has maintained our family and given us the, the, the finances to be able to have a ham every year, and so we cut off the edges. You think that little girl's not going to cut her ham edges off? But the fact is, somebody had to start by saying, I don't know. Not just, that's how ham's made. That's been the entire point of this untethered series. As Amos Smith writes, my core truth about Jesus isn't rooted in mainstream Christian tradition. It's rooted in Jesus' essence. It's about the deep stillness of silent prayer and a theology big enough to give that blessed stillness words. 
when you sit in the stillness, you've got a whole lot of availability and openness. Not just to include other people, but to include yourself and the love of God and the work he's doing. This is the most important gift that a spiritually untethered posture gives you. And it's this, the freedom to reevaluate where the retethering happens. See, you don't untether and just stay untethered. You don't just spin out into the unknown and go, well, I guess I'll just be out here and not really believe anything and question everything. It's healthy to step way back, but the truth is we must tether again. But it has to be thoughtful and reevaluated. But retethering, frankly, can be just as scary as untethering in the first place. To show you how commonly encouraged this untethering, retethering process is within the Bible, I want you just to imagine the most, any famous story you know in the Bible and walk it out through the lens of untethering, retethering. Any of the stories you have, you're going to see this untethering, retethering process. So we'll take one of the most famous stories, the story of Moses, just on a very high level. Moses is 40 years old and he is well tethered. He's been raised by the Egyptian culture. He was given over uh, by his mother, and God saved him. And he was raised by one of Pharaoh's daughters in Pharaoh's house, along with another brother that would end up being Pharaoh. And Moses was educated by the Egyptians. He was solid. He was secure. He had a future. He was loved, and he was safe. He knew what he knew. And availability was not something that important to him because he was higher. He had arrived. At 40 years old, he's walking out among the people, and he sees something, and God uses it to begin to untether him. I'm going to read uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 to you. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. So right away we know that Moses, is there's a seed inside his heart that he doesn't belong, that there's something more to this life than just what he's experiencing. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. His untethering happened right here at this moment. I want you to notice right away, the place of one's untethering is often painful ground. It is, it is lonely, it is sad, it is heartbreaking, and oftentimes you have to leave the community that you thought you built that was going to be your future as God drives you to a different place. So Moses is untethered. He's untethered from the Egyptians, from their belief systems, from his own education, from his culture, from his people, from everyone he thought he knew. And at 40 years old, he walks out into the wasteland. 40 years later, at 80 years old, Moses finds himself now completely and fully untethered. The process has, has finished. He's now humble. He's now open. He's now available. He has transcended. He finds value in the family that he's built, in the sheep that he takes care of, and he's living his best life, even though I'm sure there's great pain and regret from what could have been. 
It says one day, chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And as he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to him, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Moses is now being retethered. He's being brought back to his God, back to his purpose, back to his future. He couldn't have switched from being an Egyptian mindset and an Egyptian posture to just, I'm going to be one of God's people. He, there had to be a process. And for Moses, that process took 40 years for him to become available and have a posture willing to retether to what God wanted to show him. And so God meets him in a bush. And what does he say to him? If untethering is full of painful ground, I just want you to know the place of retethering is often holy ground. He says, step forward, take off your sandals because you and I are going to do some work. And Moses suddenly is standing in a holy place. A place 40 years earlier, if you want to, that a man was buried in the ground to cover sin. Now Moses is standing before his God with bare feet, ready to do the work of the Lord. Fully retethered back into who God called him to be. He listens to the message of God. God calls him to go back to Egypt. And so he arrives back in Egypt, a different person than the one who let him go. Exodus 5, 1 through 2, afterward Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And so Moses in his fully tethered place calls down plagues. And God uses Moses' life this murderer's life, this, this solid and secure in who he was person's life to do an amazing thing, a thing that has never been done since. And he uses him to lead his people out. Consider this. From now on when you read the Bible, think of this series, think of this principle. Every time you read a call to transform in the Bible, it's truly a call to walk out the process of untether and retether. Every single time. God is saying untether from that and retether to that. Untether to that and retether to that. And oftentimes, and I, I'm, I'm spreading this thick, but I believe oftentimes the untethering happens in a painful place and the retethering happens in a holy place. Consider Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, untether from who you thought you were and retether to who you're supposed to be. That's what this baptism that you're going to see is about. We have two people being baptized today. And really what these people are saying is that I no longer want to be the person I was. I want to be the person God's called me and God is building me to be. Now here's the thing that is so bothersome about the Holy Spirit, because I prayed over this over you earlier that the Holy Spirit would just tweak you, that he would, that he would mess with you, that he would get inside and shake you up. There may be people in this room who didn't sign up for baptism, and right now, for a fact, you know you're supposed to be baptized. You, you just know it. 
And your biggest thing is that you don't have a towel. <laughs> and so I have towels for you. And yeah, you'll drive home wet, but maybe you'll drive home retethered. I'm just going to leave that there between you and the Holy Spirit, God of all creation, who calls his children to step forward when he calls them. <laughs> that was a lot of shame-based leadership right there. That was, <laughs> that was all Danny. That wasn't Holy Spirit. So, but if it is Holy Spirit, you, you should follow that. How about this verse, Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, retether to love with a different heart so you can see with different eyes. All of these calls to transformation are truly calls to walk out the process of untether and retether. This series and all of its provocativeness, this series and all of its, all of its challenges, this series and all of its, hey, I need you to clarify what you meant here. This is what it means to follow Jesus. We're supposed to be clarifying. We're supposed to be challenging. We're not supposed to just be wide-eyed drones that walk around and tell people to cut off the hand without knowing where it came from. This is who we're supposed to be. So get used to this because the people that are coming, and I promise you this, it's the Holy Spirit over our church, the people that God is bringing, they need a safe place to ask questions, to go, that seems really made up. And instead of you going, how dare you disrespect the tradition of my Lord and church? Instead, you're to sit with them and engage them because you yourself understand what it means to untether and retether. Moses fully retethers to his God. The plagues drive the name of the Lord famous. And it's through this retethering that God guides an entire nation through their own untether-retether process. For they then walk out into the desert, 2.4 million of them walk out into the desert with Moses for 40 years, by the way. Where they have to wrestle through who they were and what they were about and where they're going. And at the end of the 40 years, Moses dies and Joshua comes and guess what he says? Hey, we're moving on, people. There's no more desert life for us. There is a retethering, untethering, retethering, untethering rhythm about scripture and life. And it is often happening out in the wonderful wastelands of freedom that God's people found themselves in. Isn't that almost always the direction God leads people into his salvation? A wonderful wasteland of freedom? I'll tell you what, the last two weeks, this is where my life has lived. This is it. I have had to have more difficult talks and more difficult, uh, uh, <laughs> more difficult uh, realizations than I ever have, I think, in my whole world because I had to answer hard questions for my kids about why my dad lived the way he lived, about why these choices led to the things that are missing now in my life and the things that I wish uh, I could heal in me so that my kids don't have to carry that burden. All of these things are happening in this wonderful wasteland of freedom, and all of it within the rhythm of untether, retether, untether, retether. And so do you know that most of my answers right now to my children and the people close to me that want to understand why? As a pastor, as a leader, as a father, as a husband, as a brother, as the oldest of all the siblings, my answers are commonly, I don't know. And, and you can see it in the people's faces, like, that's not going to work for me. And I'm like, I don't know. All I know is I'm out here in the middle of this desert. I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to stay married. <laughs> my wife's not here, but she'd love that. She'd be in the back room. That's good. That's good. <laughs> 
I want to I want to break some legacies. I want to honor some things that I loved about about my dad's story that I know I carry. I want to live out the experience in this wonderful wasteland of freedom because I want to experience the salvation of God in my life, not just for my soul, but over the areas in my life that I struggle with. The things that I know are in me, legacies and legacies and legacies of broken dysfunction, of broken thinking, of broken viewpoints, of broken rhythms, of pride, of selfishness, of all kinds of things that I'm like, ah, that's me, ah, that's me, ah, that's me. Because the truth of it is, I want to live in a posture that's available. And yes, I want to transcend. But if all I'm going to do is transcend away from what my father was and look at all the different things that I've done that are different and not take with him the things that are broken into my world, then I miss the whole point altogether. This is the beautiful truth that this series is teaching us, that there is so many both ands within our life, so many areas that are multiple narratives where this is true and that's true and this is wrong and that's wrong. And I want to live my life in this wasteland of freedom. And I wrote this, perhaps it's because embracing the wonderful wastelands is the only sure way to find the great wanderer who lives out there. I'm not, I'm not following some church fad. I'm not following uh, even, even great elders. I'm not following some calling. I'm simply following the wandering spirit that has been leading vagabonds like me for generations after generations. And sometimes he leads them out into deserts. Sometimes he leads them into countries. Sometimes he leads them into fields. And sometimes he leads them into downtown Vancouver. Slash uptown Vancouver. And I just want to follow him. I want to step out, even if it means I go home cold and wet. I want to be who he's calling me to be. You know when you've reached a place of retethering, because you can finally accept that God knows it all. Each of us is being called out to these places, to go from the known to the unknown, to meet the one who knows us all. 2 Corinthians 12.10, framed in this way, is sure a beautiful verse. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I openly admit I don't know, then my foundation is unshakable because I sit within the presence of the one who knows it all. And who's going to remove me from that? I think he loves that we say we don't know. I think he loves that we live in these difficult places. I've never prayed more to the Lord in my life than I have in the last two weeks. I think that our relationship is developing, and I think I'm open and available, and I'm experiencing a lot of peace from him because of that. This untethered, retethered process is the very same process every person in this room is being offered right now. You can decide yourself to stay in bondage to the known, to what you've decided to your declaration about how church is and church people are and religion and beliefs and just kind of go through your little recital of excuses around why you're not a part and why you're not involved. You can do that. Or you can embrace the unknown, discovering the brilliance of both the untethered and the retethered life. So what's keeping you from this place? What are you waiting for? Why, if you haven't been baptized or if you're baptized as a child because somebody else asked you to do it, what would keep you from getting up and getting in this pool right now? Think of all the things God wants to do in your life. Is it pride? 
Is it your schedule? Is it the fact that you have doubts and you don't know if you feel like you fully uh, buy into all of that? I don't know if these are the things that should keep us from proclaiming to a God who's willing to meet us in our unknown. I don't know if these are the things that should keep us from diving in. And this might be the most profound question of the entire talk. If God can light up a bug's butt, imagine what he can do for you. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? I'll pull it from anywhere, people. If God can light up a bug's butt, imagine what he can do for you. Let it shine. Some, some of you just need to let it shine. I'm so proud of this place. I'm proud of this series. Really, really proud of the hard work that we've been doing. And I'm proud of the fact that God does truly want to shine in some of our lives. And all we've got to do is step in and trust him. So here's my two closing questions. Where in your life do you need to continue the untethering process? Don't think for... For any uh, kind of certainty that today is done, where in your life do you need to dive in? Where in your life do you need to, to reach further, to reach more? Second, what areas in your life should you be thoughtfully retethering? What areas in your life should you be thoughtfully retethering, tying back in and connecting back to? Today, in just a moment, we get to witness the retethering process firsthand. There's a couple people each service that have made a commitment to go first. To, to take a stand, to stand out. And uh, these people are courageous, but this is their, uh, this is their untethering, retethering uh, illustration for you. And while that's happening, uh, I want, again, Chris is going to ask, Chris is going to lead the baptism, and then he's going to ask if anybody wants to be baptized, all you got to do is walk down through that side door and up the stairs, and someone will meet you there. And the Holy Spirit, who's already meeting with you right now, will guide you through that process. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to have the worship team come out. We're going to spend some time preparing, just singing before the Lord. And then as that song wraps up, uh, Chris is going to lead us in a baptism. And then Chris will ask if anybody else here in the room is feeling led to follow in their footsteps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this place. Thank you for the way that you have used our church for the movement that you have started here within Kesed. I know lots of conversations are happening around the community regarding what it means to be open and available, what it means to be untethered, what it means to now retether. And Lord, I pray that our church right here would be a, a core central part of that conversation. I pray, Lord, that the people in this room would be uh, encouraged, God, by the Holy Spirit, that they would be uh, touched by his presence, that there would be a strong sense, Lord, of, um, of just an awakening within them. I ask God, if anybody in this room is feeling the desire to fully untether, that they would not let fear, not let excuse, not let anything keep them from your waters, keep them from embracing you, from going under the old and coming up brand new. We just rest in your presence, Lord.